There's so much talk about preseason polls. Well, the AP poll is finally out. Seven teams from the Big Ten, six teams from the SEC, five teams from the Pac-12, three teams from the Big 12, and two teams from the ACC. Now, why are all these people talking about the Pac-12? Oh, it's the worst conference out of the Power Five. Yeah, right. I'm not even a person who believes in preseason polls. But guess what? The Pac-12 better get the respect that it deserves. I'm George Reister with Ralph Amsden, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Ralph, what's up with the AP poll, man? I mean, you had so many people down on the Pac-12 for a couple seasons, even though I'm a I'm a preseason poll truther. Like, I do not believe in these preseason polls because they affect the regular season and how teams are viewed. Just like last year, you had LSU. They had, oh, two top 10 wins against Miami and Auburn, and neither team ended up ranked, but it affected the whole playoff rankings. And now I'm looking at this and I'm saying, okay, we got Oregon, Washington, Utah, Washington State, and Stanford all in the top 25 of the AP poll. I'm like, the conference is positioned in the preseason, at least, to make a run at a national championship. Yeah, the biggest flaw in the whole polling system is how much impact a preseason poll has on the ultimate outcome of the college football season. And when you look at this list and say, all right, well, if any of these Pac-12 teams gets to 10, 11 wins, uh, especially the ones that are initially ranked in the top 25, that could be really, really good for the conference. Now you just have to ask yourself, is that possible? And then on the other side, because you can make anything into anything that you want, there's no Pac-12 teams in the top 10. And I think that, that that's a little bit of a repudiation of the Pac-12 especially when you you look at like Texas being number 10. And I kind of feel like a couple of these are, are based on hype. You have Texas at number 10. You have Nebraska at number 24, despite having back-to-back four-win seasons. And I feel like if you line Nebraska up against USC, which, by the way, USC got one vote, one vote. Uh, they, there were only two teams that received only one vote as far as the others receiving votes. Arizona and USC. I feel like if you lined USC up against Nebraska 50 times, USC's winning 40 of those. I 100% agree with that, dude. I 100% agree with it. And last year, there were like so many instances. Like last year, you had Wisconsin. They went into the 18-19 season ranked number four in the AP poll. And then in the week four poll, Wisconsin was 2-1, and one, ranked number 18 with wins over New Mexico, and Western Kentucky. But the only team they lost to, which was BYU, they were 2-1, and one, and BYU was ranked 24th. And then the team that beat BYU was Cal, who was 3-0, was still unranked. How does that make sense? Like, my, my, my brain does not comprehend how people don't see how this manipulates the uh, schedule. I mean, it it is... It's terrible. I mean, it's great because we like to compare things. We need these things as fans. But when you look at how the media and how these polls actually influence the college football playoff, it's scary, dude. Like, it is very, very scary. Well, hey, I respect uh, Army West Point's come up, right? 
I, I respect what they're doing out there, but if you look at this AP preseason poll that has them at 27, uh, and then you look at their schedule, like they've got Michigan. Other than that, these are all probably winnable games yep. for Army. If they find a way to sneak past Michigan and they go 12-0 and with a victory over Michigan, could we have Army in the college football playoff? No. No. I, I mean, to have – it's just – it's wild to me to look at this and have people believe that Army is worthy of being the number 27 team. Because the, and this is what it says to me. I look at Army and I look at Arizona State or Arizona or USC, and you're telling me those teams play 10 times, what happens? And you're really going to put an Army over USC? That's, you know, so for all the people who put those votes in, I mean, it's a feel-good story or whatever, but it does ultimately sort of impact uh, the outcome. Let's say, let's say because, and you have to think this way because of, uh, what happened a few a few years ago to Michigan? You have to think this way. If Army gets a win and they're already maybe twenty six at the time, and they beat a top ten team, does Army jump into the top fifteen with ten winnable games left to go? I, you know, see, the preseason polls are just so wild. I, I I still feel like we should wait maybe two weeks to drop the first poll. I t- I one hundred percent agree, but I think that ultimately they would treat Army like they treat Boise State or UCF that they're going to say, eh, nah, nah. But I, I I always like to point to who the polls benefit the most, and a lot of that has to do with the SEC, particularly last year. I talked about LSU, where I said they had two top ten wins, quote unquote, top ten wins last year, Miami and Auburn, in the first three or four weeks of the uh, season. LSU came in the polls at number 25 and then jumped to number five. Neither Miami or Auburn finished unranked. So those te- so those two wins weren't nearly as good as they were portrayed to be. And then that eventually set up an epic top five showdown between Alabama and LSU, where Alabama didn't Alabama won 29 to nothing, but LSU got a quality loss. And then the playoff committee then still had LSU ranked number seven despite not scoring a damn point and you're like like where does this make sense like that's where the that's where the media hype your media partners and all of that stuff makes sense and and it's important that's why the game against Auburn that Oregon has to start the season on August 31st is by it was already the biggest deal. It was already the biggest deal, and now it's like now it's even bigger. It, it, it's gotten so big for the conference and important for the conference that you're like, wow, you're going to have Washington rooting for Oregon. You're going to have Oregon State rooting for Oregon. I mean, every Pac-12 fan needs to be rooting for Oregon in that game, and then you can go back to your hate after that. Because if you want the conference to get the respect that it deserves, you got to be on board. You got to be a fanatic because – what these other conferences do that Pac-12 fans don't do on the on the same level is that I need you guys to start doing is say they're with us. Like they like to take if Alabama wins a game, the SEC says, you know, see, look, we're the best. We're the best. It's it's we won, they lost. Like so, if Alabama loses, no, 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 that's just an Alabama thing. That was a one-off. They're still not better than us. So you have to be able to take that we won, they lost mentality. So you get credit for all the wins. So you're a you're a you're a 
You're a 100 percent. And it got more serious as as the hate grew, as the Pac-12 started to kind of fall from prominence in terms of national champ winning national championships and all of that, because we haven't won since USC. What in 2004, 2005. So we haven't won since then. And all the talk has made me back the pack more. So everybody knows there's no clear that I'm not short on the fact that I hate Washington as Oregon's rival. However, last year when they played Auburn, I'm sitting there. Come on, Jake Browning. Don't brown this thing up. I mean, he browned it up. And that was a game that they should have won. So as part of. As part of back the pack, do you also root for chaos? Are you are you out there also saying, all right, whoever the higher ranked team is, if it can help a Pac-12 team jump ahead, you know, l- l- let's have upsets. Is Somewhat, that you as well? but it, that's mainly only when it comes to the SEC, to be honest, because I'm sorry, everybody except the SEC, because they get credit for playing each other. And finally... I don't know whether it's Colin Coward. I don't know whether they've uh, their uh, Sankey, their commissioner, has seen enough tweets or w- whatever. But they are finally starting to schedule home and homes, and they will be judged in the future. We're talking two, three, four years away from now. Judged by their schedule instead of just judged against each other. Where the Pac-12, the, the schedule is built for chaos. The schedule is built for that. So if you have these SEC teams and then they one team beat if you have Kentucky beats Florida, then all of a sudden instead of saying Florida's not as good as we thought they were, the actual conversation is, oh wait, Kentucky's a lot better than they thought than we thought they were. So then the Pac-12 doesn't get the same love that it deserves in that situation. Let's talk about let's hit on this USC disrespect here for a minute because one vote I mean, Appalachian that's State got stupid. five. Like that is, uh, there's no other way to say it besides that's stupid. USC, uh, when when you look at the kids that are seniors, they are they what they came in 2016. That was a top ten recruiting class. Like you, you USC hasn't. I don't think they finished below 20. So they have talent. Like there's zero shortage of talent on USC's roster. So the disrespect is stupid. You're going to give Appalachian State more votes than USC? Stop it. That's it. It's it's disgusting. I mean, I don't see too many teams on this list that wouldn't full on swap out their wide receiving core for what USC has. They have the second best in the whole country right. behind Alabama. Right. And so, hey, if, if you can get these guys the ball, I mean, I, I don't know. I this hurts USC. Could is it possible? Let's say that it, that USC puts it all together. We I think we both know that probably won't happen. But let's say they put it all together and they have just a magical run. Could not even being in the top thirty-five impact their ability to once once the end of the season comes around? Uh, could it impact their ability to even get in a top four if they were like a twelve and one team at the end of the year? Yes, yes. Uh, I think it would depend on what other people do, but. The, I think USC is probably one of the only teams that has enough name cachet to where, out of the Pac-12, that they can jump up and leap up after not starting so so high. Because if you look at last year, it took Washington State forever to climb up the polls. 
took them forever to climb up high in the polls. And but USC, they've got the name, they got the Heisman trophies, they have the history. And people think highly of them. So they're a team that can start outside of the top 25 and still get in. But when you look at the the past, what, seven to 10 national champions, all of them have started in the top seven, I believe, except for maybe Florida State the year that they won. Like all of them starting in the top seven. Right. So if, if if you take that, the only champions possible this year are Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State, LSU, and Michigan. But I don't see that. Right. I, I don't see that at all because I don't see there. There's no chance, no chance that Alabama and Georgia get in the playoffs. It, the, the people, the Big Ten commissioner will break something. Like he will come, b- literally break the college football playoff system himself um you got oklahoma and ohio state who have a legit shot lsu is going to get drowned by alabama probably again and (laughs) you got michigan if michigan can't beat ohio state there's no chance they get in the playoffs and then florida's not going to win their division so now you're pushing down the teams like notre dame texas oregon Washington, Utah, who have a legit shot at getting in the playoffs. And once you get in the tournament, it's about winning a game. Right. And then winning one more game. That's all you have to do is win two, get in the tournament, and then win two games. So, and then here, this is how far we've fallen. Uh, August 31st, USC opens up against Fresno State. Fresno State got eight votes. USC got one. USC will open up technically an underdog at home against <laughs> Fresno State. <laughs> Do you do you realize how crazy that is? I couldn't. I mean, just the sentence alone was. It would be like if I purposefully picked USC in NCAA, recruited poorly on purpose, and lost every game on purpose. Like that's the only way I could imagine getting to where we are from where we were at ten years ago. And and that 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 brings us to like to the Pac twelve. And the players that may, you know, have a big impact on the Pac-12 in 2019, 2020 season. Uh, on the unafraidshow.com, we, there, there's an article up. So visit it. Check it out. It's by Jeremy McCarthy. The 12 offensive Pac-12 breakout players that you'll know by the end of this season. You may not know them now, but you'll know them by the end of the season. And he he had a good good list from the University of Arizona. He had red uh, wide receiver, redshirt senior Cedric Peterson from Arizona State. He had Jaden Daniels, the freshman quarterback from Cal, the running back, sophomore running back Christopher Brown Jr. from UCLA, Chase Coda, wide receiver, sophomore, who who I I, I really have a a trouble with Chase Coda and rooting for him because his dad, Chad Coda, Oregon Duck. He should have went to Oregon, but that's that's you know. Um Colorado, Jaron Mangum, running back sophomore, Oregon, Sean Dollars, running back who's a freshman, came from modern day high school, uh Oregon State University, Josiah Irish, wide receiver, freshman, USC, Marquis Step, 
redshirt freshman running back. And Stanford, Kobe Parkinson, tight end junior. I, I think that m- more people probably know Kobe Parkinson than than people want to talk about. Uh, and Just then, a ton, a ton of hype coming out of high school really helped that out. Yep. And then Utah, Jalen Dixon, wide receiver, redshirt sophomore, and Washington, Sean McGrew, running back junior, and Washington State, Max Borgie. I know who Max Borgie is because I watched the Oregon game against Washington State last year. So with this list, Ralph, where do you see a problem and where did Jeremy get it right? Well, first of all, he got he quite a few of these right. And, and kind of the blessing of covering high school football is getting to know a lot of these guys. He definitely nailed it with, I mean, the Cedric Peterson one with Arizona. I mean, it's just a matter of the they don't have any receivers from last year's team. Uh, the two receivers that are going to be starting alongside Cedric Peterson this year are converted quarterbacks who are spending the very first season uh, at wide receiver. So um, uh, Peterson's really the only guy with any experience. He's the only guy who had any production last year. It would absolutely make sense for him to break out. Jaden Daniels being a starting quarterback uh, as, a, as a true freshman, I mean, that's you know that, that that's kind of a given. The, the Chris Brown one, uh, all of my contacts at Cal – say that um, he, he could even be more productive than Patrick Laird was uh, last year. Um, and then the, the, the two that I really like the most, Sean Dollars is somebody who I had a chance to see live a couple of times, and he just is Oregon football. Like when you think of University of Oregon, you think of fast, multi-purpose backs. And he is as fast as it gets. He's as quick twitch as it gets. And uh, he, can, he can really do it all back there. I think that if he if the moment's not too big for him, he could be a star immediately. And then uh, Sean McGrew, Sean McGrew uh, at University of Washington, sort of like the original uh, Sean Dollars, uh, just a year older um, or two years older, and and he he had kind of taken the state of California by storm as like a little five foot seven uh, scat back. He kind of has that Barry Sanders ability to move sideways as quick as he moves north and south. Uh, and so if Washington can find a way to use him and his 10, 500 meter speed, that could be a really, really big deal. Um, uh, one of the players that I think should probably be on here. And again, this is just out of necessity. Uh, and, and he switched from quarterback to wide receiver after Jeremy McCarthy put this article out. So, um, it, but that's uh, Jamari Joyner. Jamari Joyner was, uh, I believe a four-star quarterback, committed to the University of Arizona, just supremely gifted athlete, but they don't have anybody at wide receiver, so they need him to contribute right now. He's a guy who could go uh, out there, and you know he's somebody who took snaps at quarterback last year. I could easily see him getting about 50 receptions in his first year at the position for University of Arizona. And the, the names I've really looked at on this list that I really liked were Kobe Parkinson, from Stanford. He's 6'7", 250. I mean, he just looks the part of a tight end. And he should there's no reason he shouldn't be in the NFL at this time next year. Oh, for sure. I mean, and he follows a long tradition of Stanford of Stanford uh tight ends. You look at what Zach Ertz is doing. He he's built like Zach Ertz except he may be a little bit better. Uh, in terms of physically gifted, he may not turn out to be the same type of pro that Zach Ertz is because he's one of the top three tight ends in the league. But in turn, and like Jeremy pointed out, he's their leading returning receiver. Yeah, yeah, 
That's amazing. It, see, but here's the question, though. Are they going to let KJ Costello loose? Are they going to throw the ball a little bit more and kind of get, kind of break away from what Stanford traditionally has done? Or are they going to pack it in, run the football, try to play action and, and do that, you know, do what Stanford normally does? Um, I also like a player that I liked a lot last year was a freshman at Washington State, Max Borgie. I thought he had a big impact on winning and losing for Washington last year. He made a lot of big plays on third downs. He was elusive. He broke tackles. I was impressed with Max Borgie and how Leach used him, how Mike Leach used him. It was it was pretty impressive. I have and I think that the the one player on this list that has to have the biggest impact on his team in terms of winning and losing, I think there are two. There has to be Jaden Daniels for Arizona State just because he's the, the starting quarterback. He's going to be the starting quarterback. So you're like, as a true freshman, he's, you know, how the team goes is going to be a lot dependent on his shoulders. And UCLA, Chase Coda, they need more playmakers. They need more big plays. He played a decent amount as a freshman, but he didn't contribute in terms of big stats. Like his stats weren't great as a freshman, but he got a lot of playing time and a lot of experience. So, and you know me, I I have UCLA winning the South Division. So I'm pointing at Chase Coda like, son, you better do something. Like you better make me right, make some big plays, be explosive, do all the things that everybody expects you to do because I need it. Here's my question for you because you lived this. Uh, can you be so good in high school that the transition from high school to college isn't uh, isn't it doesn't give you as much whiplash as it does for most athletes? Because when we talk about Jaden Daniels, he threw for fourteen thousand yards. He rushed for another thirty seven hundred. He was responsible for two hundred and eleven touchdowns. Yeah. Like those numbers, I don't, I, maybe Kyler Murray had similar numbers in high school. I know he never lost, but I, is it possible to be so good at that level that when you step up that you'll be able to, I mean, that you'll be able to handle that transition to where, I mean, everybody at every position that's coming to get you would have been the best player on the high school team that you're uh, that, that you were facing at the at the previous level. Do you think it's even possible for somebody like Jaden Daniels to come in and still be, I mean, at least you look at Manny Wilkins last year, threw for 20 touchdowns, six interceptions. Do you think Jaden Daniels could at least equal that? Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, when, when you look at a lot of these high school kids now, especially the quarterbacks, they have so much training and – that when they come to college, they've seen a lot of exotic defenses in these seven-on-seven tournaments. They played all over the place. They've seen a lot more than quarterbacks used to. So, and in these seven-on-seven tournaments and playing for these travel teams, the defensive backs in these, these dudes hold, they grab, they don't care about pass interference calls, any of that. So the quarterbacks have to be that much better. And when you've seen a lot of this, then and you've had the hype around you, you've worked out and you've been to the, you know, a lot of the big 
camps around other top athletes and you perform well, I think that it lends itself to being able to adjust and being able to, you know, not get caught up in those big moments. And when you combine that with Herm Edwards and his, you know, and his history, his longevity around the game, that then you can say, okay, hold up. He may be able to to calm this young man down and and put in the right amount of plays in the beginning of the season so he can have early success. And once players have early success, if they work hard and they study, then that success is likely to continue. But a lot of but as long as he's not one of those kids that feels like he arrived, he should be okay. I feel like you're taking thinly veiled shots at Khalil Tate right now. <laughs> no, no, that's you. <laughs> you have a Khalil Tate complex, is what it is. I do. You, have, I'm paranoid. It, it that was not even thinly veiled at Khalil Tate. I, it, <laughs> t- Tate is just Tate. I don't think Tate ever thought he arrived. I think Tate believed that he's a better passer than he really is. I think Khalil Tate thinks he's an NFL quarterback and he's not, you know, and, and that, and that sucks because he's supremely talented. Like in terms of physically gifted, he's very physically gifted. But last year I thought that along with his ankle injury, that he had such a mission to prove that he was a passer first, that it took away from his biggest strength, which is his legs. And it hurt Arizona State. Part of part of it was due to injury. I'm sorry, it hurt Arizona. Part of that was due to injury, but in reality, like you're just like, come on, bro. Like you gotta, like you gotta use your feet if you want to win. Speaking of 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 Khalil Tate, I think that brings us to uh, our next segment, our weekly segment, the 12. Last week we had a bunch of fun uh, counting down the the top to the bottom Pac-12 uh, stadiums. I got some interesting feedback on that. Uh, not a lot of love for, for Arizona State uh, was pointed out by the people who are uh, who follow me for Arizona State news. They, they, they said they want you to come by since it's been a while since you were out there. and It's a little bit nicer than, than it used to be back when you played. Um, but, but this week's uh, edition of the 12, we're actually going to count down the top 12 players that will have the biggest impact on their teams and the conference in the 2019 season. Are you ready, George? I'm ready to go, man. I am ready to go. So look, if you guys are upset about it, don't feel bad. You can send us an email. I'm mad at unafraidshow.com. We will get to it. We will answer any questions that you have and we will respond. Don't forget to visit unafraidshow.com and follow me on Twitter at George Reister and follow Ralph on Twitter at Ralph Amston. And I, I got to say, that's it's probably the most genius uh, email address of all time because you have to admit that you got your feelings hurt in order to even send an email in the first place. So, I mean, it's probably my favorite email address of all time. I'm mad at unafraidshow.com. <laughs> hey, tell them, tell them why you're mad, son. So you already know when you get the email that, that it's going to be hostile. So when I'm reading them or when you're reading them, when whoever is, uh, is filtering through them, they're saying... Oh, well, I already expect there to be hostility in this. So it allows you to deal with it in a little more positive manner. You do, do you go through breathing exercises before you click that inbox open? 
Oh, no, 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 no. I get excited about it. I get excited <laughs> when people, the more fanatical, the better, because I asked that of Pac-12 fans. I want them to be fanatics. That's right. That's right. So I think we're going to, I'm, I'm going to jump right into it. I'm going to take you through uh, my number 12 all the way down to my number six. And you do the same. And then we'll hash some of this out before we count down our top five. Does that sound good? Perfect. All right. So uh, coming in at number 12, the 12th most important player in the Pac-12 to their team and the conference as a whole, I've got Utah running back Zach Moss at number 11. I have got sophomore linebacker, Arizona State's Merlin Robertson. Coming in at number 10, Stanford quarterback K.J. Costello. At number 9, I got my uh, first repeat from Arizona State University. I got running back Eno Benjamin. At number 8, UCLA running back Joshua Kelly. And then at number 7, because as of Right now, we don't actually know who's going to be taking snaps for Washington State, but what we do know about a Mike Leach offense is that the quarterback is the most important person on the field at all times. I've got uh, Gabrud, Gage Gabrud, and Anthony Gordon just sort of tied, and it really depends on the decision uh, that gets made there, but I think that either player, it doesn't matter. They'll they'll be the seventh most important to their team and the conference. And coming in at number six, I've got uh, Georgia transfer coming home to the state of Washington, Washington quarterback Jacob Eason. Okay, that's that's not a bad list. That is not a bad list, Ralph. The, the way I kind of constructed mine, I constructed mine. At, obviously, this is the this is the twelve and the 12 most important Pac-12 players this season. And I'm looking, I'm saying, okay, what does important mean to me? Like, these are people who are important to their team in terms of the amount of wins and losses that they affect, first and foremost. And then the second thing is how big their impact is on how the conference is viewed overall nationally and what happens with who wins the conference, and who can potentially make the college football playoff. So that's how I made my list. Number 12, I know you're going to hate this, Ralph. LaVishka Chenault. I do hate that. He, he may be the best player in the conference this year. However, his impact on winning it, and he may be a Heisman Trophy finalist, quite possibly, but his impact on winning and losing is not going to be, and what happens in the conference is not going to be a major thing. So I got him at number 12. I got your guy, your complex guy, number 11, Khalil Tate. Number 10, I have, I like you, in my, in 6 to 12, I have the Washington State quarterbacks, either Gordon or Gabrode, whoever wins the job, they got to do it. Number nine, I have Cal's entire secondary. Hicks, Bynum, Hawkins, Davis, who is my favorite. That, that, that number 27 boy, he come down smacking people. I love it. And they are going to have a huge impact on winning and losing this year. Number eight, KJ Costello, quarterback at Stanford. From Utah, defensive lineman, Lecky Fotu. And number six, I got quarterback from USC, JT Daniels. 
How can you hate my list, Ralph? I think I think that you and I, it's just it comes down to our connotation of what's what's important because you named probably three guys. Yeah, I think you named three guys that I have in my top five in the bottom half of, of your list. And so I think it just really comes down to what it is you think is important. Um, the LaVisca Chenault thing is the biggest one. I mean, can you offhand, off the top of your head, can you tell me Pitt's record when Larry Fitzgerald uh, was a redshirt sophomore out there and was a Heisman finalist? Or can you just remember that he was at Pitt? I think ultimately time will tell what the legacy of LaVisca Chenault is, and I don't think it will have much to do with Colorado's record. I think that people will remember that one of the best athletes in all of college football was at Colorado, and that's all they'll think about. And so, um, you know, and then and there's a couple others. Obviously, you know, the, the Khalil Tate thing, um, well, I mean, without – and it, Khalil Tate and LaVisca Chenault, if you take either one of those players off their team, does that team even win three games? I mean, either one of those teams might only win three games with those guys on the team. So um, I, I don't hate it because we got a lot of the same people. It's just the order that seems flipped. What about my side? You feel okay with me putting a bunch of running backs? And I, I think we agreed on KJ Costello at least. Ralph, I don't, I don't hate your list. However, all these running backs on there, when you have quarterbacks who are much more important, and when you look at Colorado, for example, you're in love with LaVisca Chenault. I love his talent. However, Steven Montez is more important. Like, he's going to have a bigger impact on winning and losing. You look at Arizona. J.J. Taylor. Hmm. Yes, he's important, but Khalil Tate's legs are more important. We saw that last year. At Washington State, their quarterbacks are more important than Max Borgie. At uh, Cal, their secondary just so happens to be the best thing in the Pac-12 on defense, their entire secondary. And Lakey Fotu from Utah, he's going to be a big catalyst in winning and losing because Utah's defense is going to have to carry them. And these quarterbacks, they do get a ton more credit than they deserve. However, particularly in the Pac-12 conference where throwing the football is at a premium all the time. You have to, that position just has to play well. And that's why in mine, in my 6-12, to 12, I had JT Daniels, KJ Costello, and Khalil Tate all in there. Well, and the Washington State quarterbacks. That's four. That's four already in there. Who do you have in your top five, Ralph? Well, let's start out with number five. And I think uh, people are going to get sick of me saying this, but I do have Khalil Tate. Stop! Uh, Stop, Ralph. You have a man man crush on Khalil Tate. Here's why he's important to the conference, though. Because he needs to be redeemed for being on the covers of all those magazines last year as a Heisman hopeful. Like, the Pac-12 conference needs him to come back and justify some of that hype. It doesn't... Ralph, Ralph, if... If Arizona, if Arizona messes around and wins seven games, it is going to wreck the Pac-12 South if Arizona wins seven games. If, I mean, he can have a great season, but the reality is Arizona is a five-win team probably this year. So any additional wins are going to cripple the conference in, in terms of uh, if, if they mess around and beat UCLA, USC, 
or Utah, it's going to be an, a disaster. So well, then I guess I guess that he's important in another way, though. It's important for him to not fulfill his potential. So, <laughs> but no, so look at it this way. Last year in 11 games, he and so, I mean, if he's healthy, that's a different story. Last year in 11 games, he threw for 2,500 yards, right? So you extrapolate that over, you know, a 13, 14 game season, he's over a 3,000 yard passer. The year before that in 11 games, because he didn't take over as the starter until, you know, a few games into the season, he rushed for 1,400 yards. If he could find a way to combine those two things, if you could have a 3,000-yard passer, 1,500-yard rusher in the Pac-12, everybody would be talking about that. If if and ands was pots and pans, the whole world would be a kitchen, Ralph. I'm just saying he's done a little <laughs> bit of both. He's done a little no, bit of both. He, if, if, if he can put them both together, it would be good for the Pac-12 for Khalil Tate to pay back that debt that he owes from all of that hype following him around and him not living up to it last year. So that's why he's my number five. Nope. Nope. I cannot agree with you, Ralph. He needs to just have a very good season. I want him personally to do well, not maybe as well as your man crush, but Arizona needs to stay (laughs) at their like four four to five win level. My number five is Zach Moss, Utah running back. You really think it matters all that much who plays running back for Utah? Yes. You don't think that's a plug-and-play system? I, Okay, a little bit on some level. However, when you have a special back, then you have a special back <laughs> as opposed to just a good running back. Zach Moss can play all three downs. He's physical. He can catch the ball. He does all the things. Like, he's probably the best running back in the conference right, right now. Ooh, controversial. Controversial? Who's going to argue with that? Who are you? Who are you going? Um, when you got six guys that went over a thousand yards, I think it's, I think it's fair, especially when. And I know, I know he was hurt. I know he was hurt, but when he was at the bottom of that six as far as total yardage. Okay, he did I it mean, in nine games, so I'll give you that. Stats can ex- say a lot of things, but exactly. And he was dominant. He's a top back, and their quarterback Tyler. And the, the reason why I have him high is because. His production ability to break tackles, make small plays into big plays is going to be the difference in Tyler Huntley, Huntley, Utah's quarterback, being able to uh, run run their system, a lot of the RPOs and and making some easy throwing windows for him because he's not an elite passer. He's a decent passer, but he's not an elite passer. He's somewhere in between. He's above Khalil Tate but below you know the upper tier quarterbacks in the in the Pac-12. So, you know, he's somewhere between, you know, I would say KJ Costello, Jacob Eason, uh, Justin Herbert, and then you go down a few rungs and then you get him and then you go down a few rungs and then you get Khalil Tate. And I think where where the reason I had him at number 12 is cuz I genuinely believe that if they got into a jam and TJ Green or one of the other backups out there had to take over, they'd probably rush for 120 yards also. Wow. 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 Who's who's your number four, Ralph? My number four is JT Daniels, USC quarterback. Uh, he's got all the weapons in the world. For as much of a beating as he took last year um, for, for not taking USC to the promised land, 
as a true freshman who was actually supposed to be a high school senior, 2,600 yards passing and 14 touchdowns isn't the worst thing in the world. USC has actually played a few true freshmen at quarterback, and every single time they've done it, they haven't had a ton of success. I think Kessler played a little bit. Uh, I think Barkley played as a true freshman. You know, they've, they've had guys do this before, and none of them ever came out and won the Pac-12. Not well, it Well, you, you, you also had Leinert and Carson Palmer, who started as freshmen, too. So, so, but and none then, of them, but none, yeah, but not a single uh, true freshman or even redshirt freshman has ever gone out and won the Pac 12 or Pac 10 for USC. And so, this kind of fits the mold. If he makes that year two jump, they could compete. I absolutely believe that because the offensive line is serviceable, the yep. wide receivers are elite, the running backs are good enough. And he showed that he could move the ball last year. I was there at uh, with the Arizona State game where he sort of started to figure things out uh, toward the end of it. He finished – people people are not talking about the fact that he finished the season with 337 yards against UCLA, 350 yards against Notre Dame, both in a loss. But at the same time, if the defense can stop somebody, then I think that he can do enough to get him some wins. Yeah, uh, and I resent your statement about him supposed to be a high school senior last year. No, I know, I know. No, no, he was he was supposed to be a a college sophomore last year. Let let alone a freshman. He was a double holdback, man. Um, but but I did I did have him close to you on the list. I had him six. You you had him four. So Ralph, you are you're you're getting better at this twelve thing. I'm telling you. And I have to go back and correct myself. What I meant to say when I saw him against Arizona State is I, I believe that USC wins that game if he would have played, is what yeah. I meant to say. Yeah. You, uh, he he has a chance. I mean, that that lets you know your statements about this were so true that about JT Daniels that it makes it even more absurd when you were talking about US, uh, USC's running back core, their wide receivers, that this team got one vote in the AP poll. Army's ranked higher. Appalachian State. This is Tom Foolery, dude. Um, I got number four, Dorian Thompson Robinson, because I believe he will likely start for UCLA, and if not start, and if not start the entire season, he will start the beginning of the season, which is crucial for UCLA. Because they start out with Cincinnati, who they lost to last year, and at Cincinnati. Then they play San Diego State, who's playing this this year. I think they're playing a 3-3-5 defense, which is hard for young quarterbacks. And he's been around a little bit. You haven't heard his dad talking. So, you know, he's got a chance this year. And then, then they play at then they play Oklahoma at home, which they need to have a good showing. They got absolutely demolished last year. So He's going to, and he's so high on my list because, like I said, my list is about the importance, the impact that this player could have on the conference and on winning and losing and how the conference is positioned. And the fact that I have UCLA winning the South means that he's very important. I think, see, I can't, I can't have them going one and 11. And as a reminder to our listeners, I have UCLA going one and 11 this year. I can't have them going one and eleven and have him included anywhere. Who do you have them beating? Um, I might. They should maybe be zero twelve. Oh, 
Maybe I should go back and take that win away. <laughs> Wait, hold on. But, hold on. So you have UCLA losing to Cincinnati, San Diego State, yeah. yes. Oklahoma, at yeah. Washington State, at yeah. Arizona. Lies. Yeah. They might win that game. They might win that game. Oregon State. Maybe. Stanford. Definitely not. Arizona State. They're not winning that game. That's their homecoming game, too. Colorado. Colorado. Uh, It could have. Is that at Colorado? No, it's at UCLA. Uh, I mean, that's a game that they got that that Thompson Robinson went 17 for 35 in last year, so probably not. At Utah. Definitely not. At USC. No. At Cal. I'm sorry, Cal. Uh, They did. You know what? They did beat Cal last year on the road. I think yep. Cal's going to come back and get them okay. for it. You are you are mad, man. You are a <laughs> madman. I got UCLA beating San Diego, beating beating Cincinnati, beating San Diego State, beating Arizona, beating Oregon State, beating Arizona State, Colorado, and Cal. Dude, I have this as a minimum seven win team. Minimum. Minimum. Okay, and you got them at one and eleven. They, man, Chip Kelly should fight you. Who do you have at number three? <laughs> My number three is Lecky Fotu, uh, for the simple reason that I think that this is probably a championship defensive line. Um, but if you take him away, it's just a pretty good defensive line. I think he's the key piece. If you look at if you look at any um, uh, defensive line, Super Bowl. Or you know, or playing for a BCS championship, they always have that one guy who is transcendent, who who completely changes the game plan of the team they're playing against. For for me, that's him. Without him, I would not say that Utah has any opportunity to compete for a Pac-12 title. To me, he's the centerpiece of their. Chance. Yeah, he's the centerpiece of a of a team of the defensive line of a bunch of guys that I refuse to try to pronounce their, their names without a pronunciation guide. <laughs> I mean, it is just, I mean, there's so many A's and U's and I's. I, I just need a, you know, I don't want to screw people's names up. Um, number three on my list. I got Justin Herbert. The, he is the, he's got to have a big season. Because the most important game of the whole conference this year is the non-conference game, Oregon versus Auburn, like we talked about already. Herbert's got to play well. He's got to be accurate. He's got to be a leader. And this is a team that is going to lead the way in the conference. I have them winning the North and then winning the Pac-12. So this is a team that can make the college football playoff. And for them to do well, he's got to play well. I mean, there's no two ways about it. Part of that is on the offensive coordinator, Marcus Arroyo, for the end of last season. But some of it also is on Justin. He he suffers from the same thing that Marcus Mariota did. And hopefully this is the same. He'll be able to make a jump like Mariota did in terms of the vocal leadership. They're leaders in terms of how hard they work, you know, their attention to detail. But when it comes to vocalizing some of that, he had to grow in that way, and that's why I liked him coming back this year. Okay. So uh, you're probably not going to like my number two since we've already talked about it, but I have LaVisca oh, Chanel how? as the number two most important How? What, in the is, what is he important to? 
national. I think I think that national attention is important. I'm going to be a little bit hypocritical on this because uh, I I think that exposure is often over overrated because who is it that you're being exposed to and why is it important? But I think that on a national scale, the with with if you align the Pac-12 goals of trying to get more eyeballs from people all over the country. You don't have a reason to watch most of these games if you live somewhere else unless you know that a top 10 player is going to be on the field. And LaVisca Chenault is arguably maybe the conference's only guy that you could argue is a top 10 player in the country. Um, and and so, you know, when I look at what he accomplished last year in just nine games, 86 catches for over 1,000 yards, and he rushed for five touchdowns as well, like he's must-watch TV. I will if if Colorado's on offense, and I I could watch that or something else, and I know that he's going to be on the field. I'm going to tune over to see what it is that he's doing. See, I like, agree just, with that. He, except I think for the he's fact that, that Colorado, important to the conference. I agree with that, except for the fact that Colorado's not going to be that good, so they're not going to be like on TV as much. This is not a situation, and it's unfortunate for Chenault because he won't get the credit that he truly deserves this is not a situation like rocket ishmael at notre dame and by the way ralph i told you the other day i was at an nfl players association event uh we had a couples retreat and you know 30 family 30 couples there and we're sitting at the table eating i'm sitting at the table eating with people i don't know at that point in time and the guy says, I hear, I overhear him talking to somebody on the other side of the table. He says, oh, yeah, my name is Rocket, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, Rocket? Hold up. I don't know too many Rockets. And I put it together. I was like, oh, my God, I'm sitting across the table from Rocket Ishmael. Dude, I fanned out. I fanned out for just a second. I had a little, I had a little Michael Jackson 1980s faint session, but, but internally. I fainted on on the inside. I was like, oh my God, it's Rocket Israel. It's Rocket Israel. It's Rocket Israel. And then I was like, but I kept it cool on the outside, I think. And so, but do you do you know how Notre Dame did when he was a junior senior? We don't we, we when when it at the end Notre of the Dame day, had to have won the national championship on. at that during he won the Heisman trophy. <laughs> True, and I, well, I think that Chanel is probably the only person that gives them a chance to uh, the 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 conference a chance to have somebody in that conversation. Chanel had fifty one catches in his first five games. Uh, I think of the of the eleven touchdowns that he scored on the season, nine of them came in the first five games before he got banged. Okay, up. so Rocket Ishmael, <laughs> he was the he they won the national championship. In what 1988? Yep, yep. They won the national championship in 1988. He became the he came to prominence for Notre Dame when they won that national championship. So, and then he won the Heisman Trophy as well. So, this is all good. And so, but that's what I'm saying. So, if if Lavisca Chenault goes off, maybe we'll have our kids geeking out at his table or us geeking out at his table 20 years from now. I just think, I, I just think that he's important. I, I, obviously, Colorado's not going to be competing for any championships or anything like that, but we do have to remember they opened up the season. When he was healthy, they went 5-0, and and after he wasn't, they never won yeah. again. And so that I think that highlights to me how important he is, not only to the team's success, 
but to the conference, just getting some publicity is. Oh, I lied, Ralph. He did not win the national. He did not win the Heisman Trophy. He finished second. He finished second to Ty Detmer. Ugh. Uh, yuck. Yeah. Yeah. I, I bet they. Uh, see, that's like when they didn't give it to Larry Fitzgerald. Also, see, so we we need Lavisca Chenault to be another in the long line, or we need him to break the tradition of wide receivers. Because didn't Moss finish yep, as a runner dude, up too? It will not. It will not happen. Yeah. See, we need Lavisca Chenault. It that's why we need happen. him. We need him to break that long-standing tradition of the best player in college football run being a runner up just because yep, they catch passes. That regularly happens. Who's your number two? Oh, that yeah. was my number two. That was my number okay. two. Okay, my number two is the Oregon offensive line and Panay Sewell in particular. Last year, la- okay. last year Oregon was running the ball, scoring a bunch of points, all of that. Panay Sewell gets hurt. Their true freshman left tackle. Like, how many times do you have a true freshman left tackle and people are saying, this kid's a top 10 pick? I mean, and, he, and he's got to play two more years. The The kid is ridiculous. He's the Trevor Lawrence of tackles. If Trevor Lawrence played tackle, it would be Panay And after he got hurt, I think he, he broke his ankle, broke his foot, something like, like that. He went out, and Oregon couldn't – their offense just fell apart. And I I find it hard to bl- just blame it on one, one guy, but – their offensive line this year is the most experienced group in all of college football. They have a bunch of draft picks this year on the offensive line, plus Penesol, who's a sophomore. This group has to be elite. Why, uh, Oregon's offensive line is elite. Washington's is supposed to be elite. I, and these are the two teams that are going to be driving the bus for the Pac-12 conference this year. So you need them to step up and be good. That's why they're my number two. All right, so let's get down into our top player. I think that it's per, mine is probably pretty obvious uh, since you already talked about him, and, and I haven't named him yet, but it's Justin Herbert. Um, this conference does not have a great history of people choosing to come back for an extra year and going out and having a bunch of success not just personal success, but team success as well. I think that the, probably the best example of this would be Jake Browning, who there were a lot of whispers about, but I think people who watched uh, Pac-12 football up close knew that there were enough flaws in his game that, uh, that he wasn't going to come back and earn a first-round you know, status if he came back as a senior. He did it anyway. The team had success but it really exposed a lot of flaws in him as a football player. And I I won't say that he should regret coming back, but I just don't want to see uh, Justin Herbert go down that same track. I think there's a lot of pressure on Justin Herbert to take this Oregon squad and, and have them try to reach their full potential. You want it to be more like Matt Leinert's 2005 than Jake Browning's 2018. Because Matt Leinert came back, uh, for the 2005 season, I think he only had ballroom dancing as a class. And then he took UCLA out, you know, won 13 games and then was on the losing end of probably the greatest college football game I've ever seen in my life uh, when, when he went head-to-head with Vince Young uh, in the national championship. And so you, I think you, you're hoping more for a Matt Leiner track for Justin Herbert than you are uh, a Jake Browning track for Justin Herbert. But I think 
Uh, I don't think, and but to be honest, I don't think Oregon's success overall is as dependent on Herbert um, as maybe some other players, because I, I do think that they uh, are pretty loaded at the quarterback position outside of him. But I, I think there's eroding trust in the Pac-12 in general. And if Justin Herbert doesn't go out there and have a good year, it'll just be that much harder for the Pac-12 to get the trust of the nation back that our players are any good or can compete oh, in a high first, level. For sure. And you know how much negative recruiting is going on right now from the other conferences. It's saying, oh, no, no, no. Don't go over there. You won't, you won't be a first-round pick. And so now these players have to show up and show out and then go in the NFL and play well. So I, I totally agree with you with Justin Herbert. I could have put him at one, but I didn't really want to feel like a homer. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really want the uh, the emails to I'm mad at unafraidshow.com to say, you know, that George, that George is a homer because I am not. I just keep it 100. So who is your I'm trying to figure out what I'm missing. I can't figure out your number one by just looking at what I have written down. My number one is Jacob Eason. Yes. Oh wow. I have Jacob Eason. Okay. I mean, I get it. I get it. I got him at I got him at six. So I believe he's important, but I want to hear why you think he's the most important. Because I my goal, and I believe the Pac-12 can make the college football playoff this year. So a person who has to play well, Georgia transfer to Washington, Jacob Eason. I don't know if Washington is going to have the karma that they need because of the Colson Yankoff situation, not not signing off on his uh, immediate eligibility at UCLA. So they may end up, you know, karma may bite them in the ass. But at the same time, for the conference, Washington comes into the season as the second highest Pac-12 team in the AP poll. They're number 13. So, and with their schedule, their non-conference games are against Eastern Washington, Hawaii, and at BYU. They must win all those games. And a lot of that is going to depend on Jacob Eason because their wide receivers are not as, I mean, even though they were young last year, they aren't great. Like you got, Fuller there, their tight ends are good. You got um, Hunter Bryant is obviously really good. and um, But Ty Jones has to play well for them at wide receiver as well. And you're just saying, all right, all right. A lot of this is going to fall on Jacob Easton's shoulders because Washington, for the conference to, to be where it needs to be, Washington either needs to go 12-0 and or needs to go 11-1 and with their only loss to Oregon. And that's where I have them, right? I think I have them at 11 and 1 with their only loss. And, and that puts you in a situation to where Jacob Eason is the, because Washington's defense is always good. So, and Chris Peterson does a wonderful job. So, Jacob Eason has to be the one to get them over the hump because you need Oregon and Washington to be top 10 teams. And one of them needs to be undefeated, the other one only needs to have one loss. And that's how you get in the playoffs. That's why you have Herbert and Eason in both of our what top? Well, I well Eason's in my top three. You you have Eason at six and Herbert at one. So we both believe that these guys are crazy important for the conference. Mm. 
It is time to cast stones. Casting stones for the Pac-12 apostles is, you know, the the Bible verse. Uh, Ye who is without sin, cast the first stones. So today, Ralph is without sin and he's casting stones on the USC program and Lynn Swan. What you got, Ralph? Well, I, I, I got to tell you, it's it's I'm, I'm probably going to be the only one not casting stones at Lynn Swan because everyone else is right now. I'm, I'm picking up the rocks and I'm throwing them back at some of the media who want to <laughs> ask. They, they want to ask Lynn Swan the same question. You're getting the same question over and over and over. Again. And I get the frustration with Lynn Swan, right? I, I get what the expectations for uh, USC are and that they're not meeting them. And that anytime that there's a gap between your expectations and your reality, that gap, it has to be filled. And right now it's filled with a bunch of angry people. And so I get it. But at the same time, can we not ask if a coach is on the hot seat? Can we not ask how many wins it will take for someone to keep their job? When in the history of ever has an athletic director or anybody responsible for the hiring and firing decisions at any institution, professional or college, ever told the truth to a member (laughs) of the media in a press conference setting? What are you looking for when you ask that question? He's going to do some Mike Tomlin thing and say the standard is the standard. Like, they're just going to tell you we expect to win. They're no, going to tell you what the they're expectations waiting on, are. They're waiting on the gotcha gotcha is what they're what they're waiting on. They're waiting on the gotcha gotcha for him to say when they asked Lynn Swan what he thought about Clay Helton, how many wins it would take. His His answer was, I won't go there with that one. I think we judge our coaches on a variety of things. Certainly we want to win, want to be at the top, but Clay's doing a great job motivating and helping these young kids have a a productive three to four years at USC, working toward their college degrees. We had 19 players on our team last year that wore a graduation patch, which means they're graduating by the end of that semester or have already graduated. So very proud of that, and you want to move it forward. So don't just look at it as you got to win 11 games. You got to go undefeated. You got to do this. And our goals remain the same. Do we want to be at the top? Absolutely. But where does that begin? I So the devil's in the details, Ralph. The devil is in the details. And I looked at this. And when you are an athletic director, because remember, Lynn Swan is on a hot seat himself as athletic director because he hired Clay Helton. I just want to remind people that the Pac-12 champion in 2017 was USC. Just want to remind people. 2017, Pac-12 what champion. Have, what, what have you done for me lately, Ralph? What have you done I for me that. lately? I get that, but just the, it just let it happen. If the guy's going to get fired, let it happen. How many stories do we have to read where we read absolutely nothing and then have to parse and read between the lines in order for us to get bored with this? You and I talked about this off air. Do you think anybody was talking about whether whether Colorado's head coach was on the hot seat when they were five and zero last year? Nobody, nobody. That they did. I didn't start talking about Mac, Mike, and Mike McIntyre getting fired until they were like five and three. I was like, oh wow, look at the rest of their schedule. They might lose all of these games, and if they lose, wow, 
that's going to be atrocious. <laughs> He's going to be out of there. So, but I looked at the details. When you are an athletic director and people are asking you about your head coach and you start at a historically great football friend, uh, Yes, franchise, because this is professional sports, even though the kids are still amateurs. I believe that you look at when you start pointing to, oh, we had kids have three to four productive years and they all graduated. When you start pointing to graduation instead of wins, that a coach is semi-responsible for that. But in reality, his biggest deal is winning and losing. So I, I don't want to hear anything Lynn Swan is talking about, about, about wins and losses because a lot, I mean, about graduation rates, because in reality, like you said about Mike McIntyre, I have come up with, and we'll talk about it even more throughout the season, wrote an article on Unafraid Show. I post it, I refresh it and post it every year about the two steps to firing a coach because there are two things that need to be done at the end of every season to know whether you need to fire a coach or not. And these rules apply in every sport, in every situation. The first thing is every coach needs to be evaluated at the end of the season, whether you went defeated 0-12 or you went undefeated 12-0. And you always have to ask yourself one question. Can we guaranteed get a coach that will do better than this coach? Guaranteed. Because and and by that I mean, okay, so let let's say you're Washington. You love Chris Peterson, right? You love Chris Peterson. He's doing a great job there. You you think he's one of the 10 best coaches in college football. But if Nick Saban picks up the phone and says, "Yo, I want to come up to Washington," you'll fire Chris Peterson, right? Okay, so so that's the first thing. So every coach needs to be evaluated. And then the, can you absolutely for sure get somebody better than this guy? And if the answer is no, then you move on to, then you don't even worry about question two. Then, but if it's, I don't know, then you go to question two, which is, how is the hope? Is there a loss of hope? Can this coach go to, the the living rooms of 17, 18, 19-year-old kids and sell them on the fact that the future is brighter than the past. And if he can't tell them, and if he can't make them believe that whatever, whether they went undefeated, whether they only won two games, that the future is brighter, and they're like, eh, I don't know, then you need a new head coach, no matter what his record is. That's so, the rules. When I and when I hear those two rules, I feel like cool. Let's take those two rules and make them common sense criteria. Common sense criteria, because are you telling me that if a media member had an interview with Washington's athletic director and said, "Hey, if if and I, they probably couldn't say it, you know, by name or be tampering or whatever," but they said, "Hey, if somebody with multiple national championships opened up, would you consider making a move at head coach?" What do you think? First of all. I would take that media member and kick them into the sun. But second of all, what do you think the athletic director is going to say? You think they're going to tell the truth? Like if we could just agree on, on, on common sense criteria of every program is going to try to get the best available coach that they can afford, or 
the best available coach who happens to be friends with the athletic director. Uh, and, and if we can just agree that that's probably what's going to happen, then we don't have to waste time asking these dumb questions every single year. Of course, Clay Helton is in trouble. Of course. What do you think asking Lynn Swan the same question 46 times in a row is going to do for you? Do you just want the attaboy from your readership to say that you put the pressure on the, the athletic director? To me, that's just ridiculous. If, you, if you're looking at this conference right now, and, and this is probably what brought this up. we got a columnist down here in Arizona who just didn't even ask Ray Anderson, the athletic director for Arizona State, any questions. He just flat out said, like, hey, what would it take for Herm Edwards to be on the hot seat at the end of this year? And that's the column that he went with. And it's just this all of this speculating on what it would take to get a coach fired seems like such an enormous waste of time. Deal with the here and now. Deal yeah. with the present situation. It is very obvious that USC went 5-7 and seven last year. It's very obvious that they had to make changes uh, in order to even have this uh, coaching staff come back uh, as a shell of its former self. This year, it's very obvious that they're getting less highly heralded recruits than in years past. But they also had a freshman quarterback last year. They also won the Pac-12 in 2017. You really think if they go out there and they go 10-2 and two, that they're going to can Clay Helton? If they repeat what they did last year, probably. If they win it all, probably not. I mean, that's just common sense. So hold, why do we have to keep peppering an athlete? Is the uh, question is, is Urban oh, Meyer God. walking in the door? If Urban Meyer is walking in the door, they will Clay Helton can win 10 games. They'll kick his ass to the curb. And take and take Urban Meyer and any scandal or any amount of arrest that comes with it. Well, and so if that happens, we'll have something else to cast stones about. <laughs> but I totally agree with you about, you know, nobody's ever going to tell the truth about coaches being fired. Because the athletic director has to convey confidence publicly. Even if there are backroom meetings going on and people are un unhappy. But uh, as the media and as fans, a lot of times we have to stop waiting on and looking at the car crash, even though we can't, even though it's so difficult. We're waiting on the car crash. You brought up USC was the Pac-12 champion in 2017. And that, and then the next season, everybody's like, oh, Clay, Clay Helton's got to get fired. And you're like, okay, okay. I mean, it's just... Like there's no margin for for error, and I think that that's why you see so many assistant coaches now, because I know an assistant coach in the Pac-12 that got interviewed by USC. USC offered him a hundred thousand dollars more than what he was making, and he turned down the job. So these assistant coaches now. Even though they want to move up and all of this, they value the fact that they're like, hold up. They value stability and they value opportunity. So they're like, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I like where I'm at right now. This is not a bad job. I might actually be better off here. So we have to stop looking for the car crash and just enjoy the season as opposed to trying to get people fired. Like imagine if somebody was trying to fire you from your job every single day. Oh, Ralph. Ralph, Ralph, that uh, that that rivals column wasn't as good as I needed. Ah, we gotta, we gotta put Ralph on the uh, on the uh, college football writer, high school cover guy, um, hot seat. <laughs>
Anyway, but if but if anybody asked my boss and my boss was like, "Yeah, we're gonna fire him," that'd be a huge surprise because that's just not what happens, right? I mean, it'd be nice to know ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, but nobody's paying attention to that. Uh, you guys, thank you guys so much for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. You guys, make sure that you guys tell a friend about the Pac-12 Apostles. Tell a friend, share it. Visit theunafraidshow.com. Share it. Follow me and Ralph on Twitter at George Reister, at Ralph Amston. You, uh, you guys, uh, and don't forget, you guys can download, subscribe to the podcast. Tell a friend about it. Share it. The Pac-12 has to be important to us. If it's not important to us, it's not important to anybody. And also, make sure that you go on Reddit and subscribe to Pac-12 Sports. This is a new subreddit for Pac-12 fans. It is going to be the place where you can find out all the information about not just your specific team, which you should follow on Reddit, but you should follow the Pac-12 sports because the other conferences, all of their teams are well represented on their news every single day. And if you want more news about your team, then that's where you need to go. You need to engage with your personal team and with Pac-12 sports. Not Pac-12, but Pac-12 sports. Ralph, you got anything before we're out? Yeah, yeah. Stay tuned. Uh, stay tuned for a short interview with recent Washington commit Jacoby Covington, a four-star defensive back out here in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, who's already got a couple of high school state championships to his name. He's looking to close it out with a third before he heads up to Seattle. This is a player who University of Oklahoma wanted to make him the cornerstone of their defensive recruiting class this year. He chose to stay in the Pac-12, so I'm going to talk to him about why he thinks this conference is the best fit for him. Peace out. Catch you guys later.